0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at bonecur.net. That's b o n c o e u r.net and use the code citycast 20
1: Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the very last minute billion-dollar legislative bill amendment going to the Interstate 5 bridge expansion. We're also looking into the city implementing artificial intelligence for non-emergency calls and the two major proposals from Portland's charter reform. Joining me today is Portland Mercury reporter Taylor Griggs and our very own lead producer, John Nittariani. It's Friday, June 23rd. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is What Portland's Talking About. Taylor, John, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: Taylor, this is your first time on the show. And in honor of you joining us, uh, I've loosely themed our first random intro question around you. Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully
2: I'll be able to answer
1: <laughs> for those listening for the first time. Before we get into the headlines of the week, I always ask a a pretty highly controversial first question that allows our listener to figure out who's in the room and just kind of ready themselves for the kind of show they're getting themselves into., uh, the question this week is, where would you want Taylor Swift to break up with you? And what reason would it be over? Only restriction is it has to be in the Portland metro area. Mm -hmm. I'll go first so you guys can think about it. So um, ideally, Taylor Swift breaks up with me during a show at the Moda Center, like right before she leaves town for like half a year. Um, and I prefer she make it known at the show. Like like she announces it on the mic that we're, it's done and like hopefully right before Shake It Off because that would be kind. But that way people won't keep asking me like how Taylor and I are doing while she's on tour. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to like relive that, like we broke up over and over again. Like I just want it to be like, bam, it's over with Claudia. And everyone like, oh, tweet, 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 you know, and it's
0: done. Ugh, this is a hard one. Um, okay. I would want Taylor Swift to break up with me at Powell's. And my reason is, like, if you've ever gone to Powell's with a friend, with someone else, Mm -hmm. and you walk away from them, you're not going to find them again for, like, an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're they're just gone. (laughs) They've fallen into an alternate dimension. So So if Taylor Swift breaks up with me at Powell's, I could, like, turn one corner and I would know that I wasn't about to run into my ex again. At least for like another three hours, because we would just be lost in the <laughs> stacks of books.
2: You don't think you'd leave the store afterwards? Sean's <laughs> no. like, no. We obviously
1: were a pals for a mission and I will complete that mission.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> also,
0: because you can't just leave Powell's. You are you are stuck there. Yeah. You are browsing for a good hour, even if you just went in for one thing. Yeah.
2: What about you, Taylor? I think she would break up with me because. I don't I don't I don't feel like we'd really get along. Um the the thing I really respect about Taylor Swift is that she's normalized the name Taylor for adults because I feel like it's a child's name. Um and I've always felt insecure about that. So now it's like well it's like this most famous woman in the world has it and you know people take her seriously. So but we, I don't know. Maybe we'd fight because we had the same name and it was too confusing and I was getting um Getting mad at her, or we had some contempt. But I, this is a boring answer, but I, I, I feel like I, like I would like to get dumped in my home. Like it's nice, it's a nice thing to do to come to you, let you cry your eyes out, and then, but I'll make it more interesting. I live near Peninsula Park. I'd go to Peninsula Park in the Rose Garden and, and cry, and then I'd go quickly back home and stay in my room all day.
1: Oh, my God. I would hate to be dumped at home because then you're just like, at my own house? In my house? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think nowhere is maybe a good a good place for it, but <laughs> good place? I don't know.
1: Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for playing. Uh, Taylor, you're our guest. Why don't you start us off with your story of the week?
2: Okay, so the story I want to talk about is about the Interstate Bridge Replacement Project, which is a plan to replace the... I-5 bridge between um, Portland and Vancouver over the Columbia River. It's been hotly contested for a variety of reasons for being um, too expensive. A lot of people will argue that it's more of a freeway expansion than a bridge replacement. And there's a group advocating for a right-sized crossing um, that would be less expensive and kind of more of a bridge and less of a a freeway expansion. Anyway, earlier in the state legislative session, um, there was a bill proposed to dedicate $1 billion for this project. And that was not popular with the critics of the project. And Governor Kotek also kind of stepped in and said she didn't support it. Um, Mm. But on Monday of this week, which happened to be a federal holiday, so a lot of people weren't working, Sneaky. and neither were the the legislators, or they weren't s- supposed to be. Some members of the Joint Transportation Committee put in an amendment to the uh, House Bill five thousand and five, which is kind of an unrelated bill that's about general obligation bonds, um, and it's Yeah,
1: isn't it? Isn't that bill just for like affordable housing and education? Like that's what usually the
2: general bonds would. Yes, pretty much. The other. The other things that it's covering are things like that. Um, but in this last minute amendment, um, there is a proposal, or there was, to to put in uh, two hundred and fifty million dollars every two years until twenty twenty nine for the interstate bridge project, which amounts to a billion dollars by the end of the decade. So it was sneakily done, which people weren't happy about, and it was pretty clear that. It, it would probably pass because they need to get this done. I mean, they've been lollygagging around for months. Now they like have a very limited amount of time to finish Mm -hmm. their legislative agenda. Um, And it did. So on Tuesday it went through and there was some discussion about it. And a few of the members of the joint committee on ways and means, a lot of this legislative stuff is difficult to wrap my head around. I mean, I'm still kind of learning all the, The ins and outs of how a bill become all this stuff works, but oh my god, there's a song just
1: for that. I just want to. I know, I (laughs) know.
2: I actually considered watching that yesterday because I was so. (laughs) But this
0: this is is the type of heartbreaking research that goes into professional journalism.
2: I know it's watching Schoolhouse Rock.
1: (laughs) Taylor Griggs showing her cards.
0: Well, you know what
1: I found really interesting about that, Taylor, was exactly what you said. I mean, this is a committee, so there's a, a few, you know, more than like two members. Uh, and they the full committee had no clue that two of their members were going to do this. And one of them was Con Fam, who mm-hmm. was just like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, because she was like, yo, that's a lot of money from like the fund that they're trying to do this from. And she and she's also like not like a hundred percent down for freeway expansion or bridge tolls. Like yeah. she was just like, hey, a lot of this money was supposed to go to my district because uh we're dying over here. Cause she's like, you know, she's on eighty-second, uh, outer east side, and as we know, there's a lot of pedestrian deaths there. And she was just hoping that some of that money would would go for some of that infrastructure that started. Like you said. Tina Kotek was never behind. Like, she was always just like, yeah, no, that's a lot of money. We're never going to do that. But I do know that they needed to do something quick because they needed the first round of the $250 million to go in in order to for there to be federal funding, like a match. Mm-hmm. From the federal funds, so they needed that to go through, and I think that's what they were just trying to do. But I feel like some sneaky stuff happened where somebody was just like, "Screw it, like let's just not think about it." And can you imagine having to pass all of these bills while like all the Republicans are protesting, not coming in? And I can only imagine everyone being like, "I don't want to do this ever again." Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that. Like, what else can
0: we do? Yeah, yeah. We can't not, like, pass this bill. And we're up against the wall. We've only got a couple days left in this session. So it's sort Mm -hmm. of now or never. Taylor, I know know there was some concern that the governor had raised earlier, maybe last week, um, that by putting this money in, it could squeeze out the capacity of this super bond bill to fund some other projects do you know if like there was a compromise where th- some of that you know billion dollars was taken away from other projects or did just the entire price tag go up on this bill for bonds
2: i don't know if this project specifically took away from other projects i mean it's i guess i think it's hard to to say that you could argue that it, maybe it was something else but there were some some programs that were supposed to be included in this bill that aren't anymore. One of them Mm -hmm. is um, this Health and Recreation Center at OSU Cascades. Um, There's also a few other bridges um, that didn't get as much funding as they were supposed to, like the Burnside Bridge, I believe. Um, That's a pretty important one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's one one that most people use, like... Uh, every day yes i mean and people use this one every day too but Eh. well i won't
0: of course but you know (laughs) i'm like
2: like, i don't know i'm not going (laughs) i'm not going to washington those
0: people to the north
2: (laughs) i think something important to point out is that the critics against this aren't opposed to a bridge replacement like this bridge is old it's not seismically resilient um yeah, I, I don't utilize it, but so a lot of people do and it should be better. And the other cool thing about the project, or maybe the only cool thing, is that it'll <laughs> include um, a new max line to Vancouver. So in order to qualify really for the federal funding, they have to have that on the bridge. And I think that some of the advocates wouldn't even be opposed to spending a billion dollars on this. It's just that First of all, this is maybe not the end of how much money Oregon is going to be spending because um, ODOT and Washington State uh, Department of Transportation are both uh, haven't always been accurate about their the price tags at the beginning. And sometimes, oftentimes, yeah. the price of these projects increases along the way. And then they're in it. So they have to keep paying. I mean, now it's like halfway done. What are you going to do? You can't just you have to keep funding it. Mm-hmm. So if they would confirm, you know, some of the aspects of this project and say, we'll do as much as we can to keep it limited in, in scope and in price, then people would be happier about it. But right now there's like not very much transparency around that.
1: Yeah. And we do yeah. need some of those funds to go to higher education and mainly affordable housing. Um, so I do want to point out, I just, because I like love knowing these little details, but I was like, who in the committee did this and one of them was senator lou frederick so if you're just like who was the bad mofo who was just like i'm gonna get this done no matter what it was senator lou frederick
2: yeah he's my my senator so yeah (laughs) we see you lou (laughs) and rep mcclain um who is the other co-chair of the joint transportation committee they both wrote an article in the oregonian on sunday saying they needed a billion dollars for the bridge, so I guess people should have expected they would do something like this. <laughs> they, I don't know because they wrote a <laughs>
1: manifesto before they did it. Yeah, they wrote uh, a letter to the editor,
2: which is funny. I, I think <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty
1: old timey. I know it is. <laughs> yeah, Dea Aragonian, <laughs> editors of the Aragonian. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's just you know this is just whether you agree with the bridge or you don't agree with the bridge or you think this is a good appropriation or a a bad one, I guess it's not an appropriation, but um, it it is just sort of like the tumble down effects of these weeks and weeks of walkouts that we have that Mm -hmm. like the legislative process can be slow and can be boring, but like there's a lot of negotiation and sort of fine tuning of details that happens in that process. And you know, when we have to sort of ram these bills through at the last moment, We don't get, you know, lawmakers don't get the chance to really sort of chew over some of the details, and we don't necessarily get the chance to be represented in what they're going to be. So, you know, even if we are in favor of putting the money in to replace this bridge, I just am not thrilled that this is the process that we have to figure out how to spend a billion plus dollars.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's not unusual for these kind of last minute amendments to go into these kinds of bills. Unfortunately, a billion
1: dollars. Taylor. Yeah.
2: I mean, no, I mean, it's bad that it's not unusual. It shouldn't yeah. be happening like
0: this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, John, what's your story? Uh, I feel like I've been talking about robots a lot recently, and I'm on robots again. Uh, (laughs) AI non-emergency calls. So uh, the Portland Bureau of Emergency Communications is experimenting this week with uh, AI answering non-emergency calls. Um, There's an automated attendant when you call 311 that is going to take your call. They're turning it on for a few hours a day. Um, And this is sort of part of a strategy to deal with the fact that... That the bureau is just said they've been overloaded with calls. They took over a million calls in 2022. Um just about a third of those were on non-emergency lines or like administrative lines. But yeah, they're they're testing it out. That you're going to call them up for a 311 call and potentially you there won't be a human on the other line. There's going to be an AI system that then will route your call to where it needs to go.
1: This is the future that Stanley Kubrick warned us against. And we're just (laughs) the hubris of man.
2: Do you know what constitutes a non-emergency call? I mean, it's a pretty broad range of things i imagine.
0: Well, it's it's interesting cuz, you know, I, at this point, a non-emergency call is someone who calls 311, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you dial into 911, you're still going to go through the normal 911 dispatch. If you call 311, then there's the chance that depending on where they are in the testing process, you could get this sort of AI receptionist. Um, you know, and our emergency response is like really screwed up in this city, but i i think there is a big question of like do people even know when to call three one one? Like, is this a service that a lot of people are?
1: I've never heard of it.
2: I honestly didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, this is the first time yeah. I've heard of three one one. Aside, it was in there a band called three uh, eleven.
0: Yeah, that little. Do little they bit have different.
1: anything to do with this?
0: Uh, I don't think they were involved. I think they were more of like a SoCal thing.
1: <laughs> then I, I've never heard of 311 then. I've never heard of
0: 311. <laughs> I could be totally wrong on that. Internet fact check me where 311 is from. I am not confident in that.
1: Well, you know, the one thing that I... Because I, I was looking into this as well when you mentioned it, John, uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, John was really excited about the story, you guys. And I noticed that this is... <laughs> I found it funny that a lot of the people from the Bureau of Emergency Communication were just like, you know what, hopefully this trains people in just knowing what is an emergency because mm-hmm. we're getting so many non-emergency calls on 911 and this is what's jamming our system because they're just like, yeah, we might be slightly understaffed right now, but no matter how many people we staff, we still have the issue of like hundreds of thousands of people calling us because, you know what I mean? Like they saw a cat up of on a tree or like worried that they heard a sound, just stuff that, that maybe isn't quite like life-threatening emergency. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this, they're using this AI in a way to
2: just kind of test that like start the the rerouting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like it might get worse with this now because if they're calling 311 and getting a robot. I mean, I can say if I talk to some AI, I just be you're my problems never getting solved. I mean, it's like when you call Walgreens or something and it's like oh my speak God, to right. receptionists, like yelling, like, I am mad. <laughs> Get me to a receptionist. Like you have to use some buzzwords so they know like you're serious yeah. about it. I hate talking to robots on the phone. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. So I just would if I was the type of person to call these numbers, I can imagine I would call three one one, hear this, hang up and call nine one one. So then nine one one's getting inundated yeah. with these kind of you know, maybe unimportant calls. I can see that too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm willing to have the silver lining belief that like this works phenomenally well and like this is a great system that is going to get people where they need to be. Um, And like... I personally am sort of happy that they're they're trying things out rather than just being like, well, that's how the system works. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I've got questions. I'm curious to see how this goes and if they're going yeah. to adopt it more widely, you know? They they could go through a couple weeks of testing and be like, "You know what? Never mind. This was a silly idea."
2: Yeah. Well, there was that recent thing, I don't remember where this happened, but um some suicide hotline set up An AI response. No. And it went really badly. I mean, I think the responses they were giving were were really bad. Obviously, yeah. It's just not the right thing.
1: Don't do it. Don't do it. It's just over and over again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, thanks. That's really helpful. (laughs) Thank you. I guess if you're calling about uh, hearing a noise in the middle of the night, okay. that's. But if you're calling... For something more important than that, it's nice to have a a human on the other end.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more headlines of the week. So, my story comes from the Portland Mercury, written by a bright young reporter (laughs) by the name of Taylor Griggs. Real rising star. I'm very
2: honored.
1: <laughs> it's the story you wrote, the breakdown of a few major milestones from the ongoing charter reform uh, that Portland has been working on since it passed last November. And there were a few things that you mentioned, but I just wanted to focus on two, which is the three proposed district maps and the new salary raises for city council, because I feel like those are the ones that everybody was like, I'm I'm sorry, you know. So first off, um, the three proposed district maps. Uh, The big major upheaval of the charter reform is that we're splitting the city into four geographic districts, each of which will then be represented by three city councilors who actually live in the districts they are representing, which is like mind blowing. Um, So but that's going to be 12 city council members rather than four. Uh, which we currently have, and I I want y'all to keep that number, 12, when we jump over to the pay raises. Um, so there's going to be a lot more city council members, which is cool, but then also, like, that's a lot of money. So first off, the three proposed district maps that have been given the most Portland names ever, like, they just went hard as twee, you know, like, there's <laughs> alder, cedar, and maple, so for for one thing, if you look at all district all these district maps like side by side, they all look kind of similar like at first glance because each map contains uh, all of Portland east of I two hundred five in one single district and all communities west of the Willamette River in another district, and all of the northern part of Portland is is also in a different district. So there's three kind of major blobs, color blobs, that kind of don't change. What ends up changing is sort of like the center part of like Mm -hmm. how much of like Buckman and some of the inner southeast uh, districts might jump over to the northwest, which is a big contentious thing. So first off, Alder... uh, it's built around preserving established neighborhood boundaries. So, and one major thing to also note is that they decided not to split up the Albina district because technically it is split between North and Northeast by MLK, but they're just like, no, we're going to keep this intact. So, That's the Alder. The Cedar map, and this is – I find this one really interesting because I've never thought about it this way, is built around prioritizing transit corridors. Mm -hmm. So they're using – if you look at that map, they're using major transit thoroughfares like Northeast Sandy Boulevard and uh, 82nd and just – and max transit lines to prioritize the role of these, like, arterial roadways. And that's how they're kind of breaking up the
2: the neighborhoods Uh,
1: because they're just, like, if you're sharing – transit routes, then that's your neighborhood. Hmm. Hmm.
2: I don't really see that. Yeah. To me, that's it's a little confusing. Yeah, I, I guess I like the idea because I like public transit, but I don't I don't know. So there's that. Okay,
1: this is the most controversial one. Out of the three maps, it's the Maple map because it puts a portion of the central east side residents like Buckman, Kern, into the same district who live in the outer west side neighborhood. So that's like Old Town, Goose Hollow, Waterfront. And there's a whole Willamette River that runs between them. (sighs) So a lot of people are just like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm on the east side. That's not my neighborhood. Um, And for two reasons, it's like pretty controversial. One. Those West Side neighborhoods have a higher percentage of renters, so not a lot of homeowners. And two, uh, some of the political organizers are worried that progressive voices in Central East Side would be diluted by the mainly like West Side district. Because if you look at that at Maple, it's not like there; it's a good chunk of Central East Side. It's literally like three neighborhoods, so mm-hmm. they would be taken away from the rest of like where they believe they live, which is Southeast, and grouped together to the west side. And I feel like the maple one is, I can't imagine a good, what's a good reason to do the maple district distribution? It makes
0: no sense. Oh my gosh. I I feel ranty on this. I just feel like, okay, there's the argument that, you know, this west side district needs some portion of Portland east of the river because of these districts need to be, you know, comparable in terms of population. And like, I get that as an argument, like that's reasonable. But, you know, in addition to just sort of splitting up the population of the city. This is about splitting up political power, you know, and especially on a district like the West Side. I think that there, there, there there's sort of a concentration of wealth and there's a concentration potentially of people who are able to attain political power and use it um, out, out of proportion to like the population that lives there. And I feel like on all of these maps, I see sort of this queasiness of like, uh, like i I don't feel like even if there's the same number of people in all of these districts that these four districts are going to have the same amount of political influence just because of the populations that live there and the way that they're divided up.
1: yeah, I love that how thoughtful you are, John, about this, but i I am one hundred percent behind the alder map. I think it's perfect, and no one should touch it. And we should move on. I'm just excited that North Portland has a seat. In, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. At the table. Like nor- North Portland has always been historically ignored even now. when <laughs> It's been gentrified.
0: Guys, we're going to be in the same district. The three of us are all going <laughs> to be district buddies. We're going to be district mates.
1: We're going to be district buddies.
0: Did you see the post maps? No. no. So there was like this whole place where like the public could like put their own ideas in. And there are some that are clearly just like shit posts. There's one that says latitude makes for a more inclusive attitude is its name. (laughs) And it just like cuts us into like lines, like a layer cake.
2: Okay. That might be a better name than maple though. (laughs) I I think it's going to be interesting how it changes people's perception of their neighborhoods. I mean, everybody in Portland Mm -hmm. is really, um, Kind of, they feel very strongly about the neighborhood they they live in, and so, I yeah I love being a North Portlander. For instance, I'm glad that that is not going to change. I know there was some discussion, I think, of putting like Upper uh, Peninsula, St. John's on the West Side, um, which I'm glad they they didn't do that. I think that would not make sense at all. Um, but yeah, I wonder because if you know if you're campaigning for for some people and you used to have a neighbor who kind of lives pretty nearby but the district cuts you off and they have totally different counselors who they are voting for and, and campaigning for or whatever, maybe you won't feel like your your neighbors anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the last thing I wanted to like just quickly mention was uh the charter also proposed Salary raises. Uh, so right now the mayor is making one hundred and forty three thousand and six hundred sixty six. That's like his base, and uh, the commissioners and the city auditor are making one hundred and twenty thousand nine hundred seventy three annually. And they're like, okay, everyone needs a pay raise because of a, of a cost of living raise and all that. So the mayor will now be making one hundred seventy five thousand four hundred sixty three, and each councillor would be making one hundred forty two thousand. $404, which is a significant, significant raise from like where we started from. Uh, but all of the reasoning is like, hey, this is going to make it so people from like disadvantaged backgrounds might actually want to work at the city because it's a livable wage. It's you know more than a livable wage. Uh, but a lot of people are, are really angry because they're not happy with how the city is like sorting out and then they're just like and they're just going to get a raise and like I mentioned there's going to be 12 counselors like that's a lot of money
0: I don't know I don't have a problem with this I don't have a problem with this at all I mean it's a lot of money but it's a big job it's a really important job um you know, and like you look at like what we pay our our state legislators is like yeah. nothing, you know, yeah. like Shamia Fagan, secretary of state, made half this much money when she was in office. I think like, yeah, let's let's pay our elected officials well and, you know, hold them to account to do a really good job.
2: That was the first thing I thought was that how many Oregon legislators who live in the Portland area will now be running for for Portland City Council, <laughs> yes. because they get paid so much more. I mean, it, and and people are saying, okay, yeah, they're, since there will be more ca- counselors, they won't have to do as much work. I hope that that's not the case. I think that there's work to be done. And if if the commissioners now aren't doing it, it's not because they don't have the option to. They, they definitely could find something to do. And hopefully if there's, I mean, I can imagine like counselors going out to community events now that they have their kind of district and mm-hmm. needing to engage a lot more with the people who live um, near them. And who vote so, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they just do do more work um, and then they, you know, people won't feel like they're getting way, paid way too much.
1: Yeah. So you're basically saying
2: hopefully they earn that money. Yeah. And they should, I mean, really, but I think they definitely could. There's enough things to be done here that that they could earn that money, in my opinion. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I'm so excited to see who's going to run. I think. Yeah, it's my, me I'm too. Really. Yeah. Well,
1: now I totally believe you. It's going to be every state legislator. Like, <laughs> how much does the governor make? Is Tina? I would love Tina to be. Honestly. So. <laughs> yeah. Tina, come on over. Miller Lillard's
0: going to be like, that's a decent salary. It's a lot yeah. less exercising. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope so that would be amazing well guys thank you so much for hanging with me and uh, sorting through the the headlines of the week Taylor again anytime you want to come on
2: just uh, let us know thank you I'd love to be on anytime I really appreciate it I've wanted to be on the show for, for a while so hey. this has meant a lot to me thank Aww. you for asking <laughs>
1: thanks That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not share it with a friend or leave us a good review? It really does help us out. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fioglioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monaghan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims.